You're listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio with your hosts, Brendan Elliott, Bob Baldessari, Andy Hydorn, and Chris Ray. All right, Love of the Links Season 3, Episode 3. In talking with Bob and Andy through text throughout the last several days, we felt like there were some hot topics to talk about uh, this week. definitely the uh the rules situation last week and you know there's some new things that have come out you know people had kind of put rory in the same group with the same situation that patrick had and it, i guess it came out that one of the volunteers stepped on rory's ball to embed it um and didn't say anything until the next day or after the tournament so uh but we'll talk about that we'll talk about some of the talk with the USGA and RNIA, some of the next steps they're taking with the, what they, what people think is the distance situation or distance problem that really only affects maybe your top 1% of golfers out there. Uh, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the tour, some players uh, that are, that are hot, some players that are not and everything in between. So uh, of course we got Bobby and Andy, our co-host, and we're welcoming Mr. Rex Hoggard, Golf Channel's own. Thank you, Rex, for being with us tonight. Evening. How are you, boys? Good. Great. Thanks for being here, Rex. Always well, fun. Let's kick it off with uh, with what we saw from our from our good old pal, Captain America, Patrick Reed, <laughs> last week. Uh, some first impressions of the situation. Maybe we'll start with you, Bobby, and working around the horn. It's amazing what reputation does for you, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's or bad or yeah. either which way. Uh, yeah, my my uh, my dad, fifty three year member of the PGA, always told me the rules of golf are there to for the more you know them, the more they're there to help you. And so uh, it's funny that the you know tour players play for a lot of money, rightfully so. They um, call in officials uh, frequently to get a good ruling. Um, the average golfer really doesn't. They think they know the rules, but they they don't quite know the rules. And even a lot of PGA members, uh, there's a famous story in the New England PGA. It used to be, uh, Andy, you may remember, Buddy Young, the yeah. tour. Yeah, he was a rules guy. He had a standing bet, $50 bet to any New England PGA pro. You play uh, the golf course, you go out and play, and I bet you break a rule. And there's a prominent PGA member in New England that ended up playing on the Champions Tour and did well. And after one hole, um, Buddy walked over and said, uh, you just broke two rules, you owe me 100 bucks." <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be Mr. DQ, would it? You, you got it. That was, yes, that's a famous story. Yep. So, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, it's, uh, we'll pass it around here, but, um, it's interesting when, when something comes up on the rules and, uh, you know, the TV, the way it is, uh, everything's undercover there or, or out in the open. Yeah. Andy. Okay. So to me, I mean, there, there was so much chatter about procedure, right? And, yeah. and not enough chatter about how his golf ball ended up in a depression. And, you know, everybody was, was latching on to the, well, he did everything right. He did this right. He did that right. He didn't break any rules. On the procedure end, I totally agree with that. But, but the, the fact remains, how did his golf ball end up below the surface right. of the ground because um, we saw it bounce you know two feet in the air and certainly if the ball wasn't going to plug on the initial impact you know it's you know virtually impossible in my mind for it to plug on the bounce which was said um, by him yeah and everybody that, that saw it afterwards but go ahead but you know ultimately his ball ends up in a depression says brad fable and you know to me I, I want that answer how did it do i mean he had his hand on the ball for quite a long time or his hand in the hole for quite a long time and i'm not saying he did or didn't but you know from a pure probability standpoint i don't i don't really see how he didn't you know how he didn't mess with the lie how he didn't push down on the ball, how he didn't push down with his thumb, whatever might've happened. I, I don't see a scenario where that didn't happen. 
right? Without knowing that it happened or not. If, if I could interject here just real quick, just out of curiosity, and I don't know where Bob and Andy are right now, but, but Andy's got a New England Patriots logo over his left shoulder and Bob has a, has a Randy Moss New England jersey over his right shoulder. So I'm really curious. Are you guys are right heading into this weekend? Like everything's cool, right? You guys are fine, right? We're, we're all good. We're all good. We're, we're rooting for the, the hometown boy. You know, I, older, maybe I some did, of us. I did press Bobby to change out the jersey before we started recording. No, I like the jersey, the, the old guy. Uh, I, and I was doing that completely to, to deflect because I, I spent a bad weekend on Twitter. Um, I, I was at Tory, uh, Tory Pines yeah. and, and, and wrote a column on Saturday about what happened. Not so much with Rory, obviously. We didn't know how at that point, but really about Patrick Reed. And that's a great question. And, Andy, there is no answer to that. And the only person that can answer that is Patrick, and I'm not quite sure if we're going to get him to do that. And, and I put myself in a, an unenviable position of having to defend Patrick Reed, and that's not a good hill to go and die on when it comes to Twitter. And, and, and it was, it was really difficult. My point was, is that by the rules of golf and, and you brought up Brad and, and certainly Ken Tackett was in the booth with CBS. He didn't do anything wrong. And we can sit here and go round and round about, well, how did the ball, we, we all saw it bounce. It clearly didn't bounce into its same divot. We know he spent a lot of time down in the grass and the mud. And what was he doing down there? And, I don't know, certainly not the rules of golf. I don't know that there's anything that can look into a man's heart mm. and tell you, okay, he did this or he did that. So I, I'm just, my point in all of this was there's nothing else the rules of golf can do that the locker room can speak up. And we saw that a little bit with Xander Schauffele and, and some other players. But as far as the rules of golf and the PGA Tour, I, I just don't know what else they could have done. Yeah, I don't think anything, right? I mean, I, I think procedurally and everybody did their part it comes down to you know what happened there with Patrick and nobody will know and some of the things that I found interesting about this is obviously these guys are under a microscope and and it's the closer to the leaderboard you are the bigger your name is obviously you're going to be even more under the microscope being on tv um so a couple things came to mind I, I thought back to the masters with tiger with the drop on 16. Uh, and I was there, I was literally with an eye shot of, of what happened. And in that situation, in this situation, um, put, put reputation aside with, with Patrick, I, I'm wondering how much do these guys really know their rules? And, and if would that question being out there, how much should these guys know about the rules or, do they need to surround themselves with, with uh, caddy or other people that can help them in these situations, or do you purely rely on on calling for the official? Well, it's you know I said before there is more money gets played for and those purses go up. I mean, they're they're probably they're right and Rex is out there more often, but they're playing for a lot of money and they want to make it right. And you lose one shot here or there, that could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Certainly different from years ago, but um, you would think, and, and I mean, Brent and I being PGA members, we're around the rules, we're, we're instituting the rules, we're, we're doing rulings with our club members and things like that. Um, you'd like to have a good feel for the rules, but as I said before, I really mean any, any amateur that really knows and understands the rules, they're always wondering, uh, they're always there to get you, but I've said there's you might have a drop from a penalty area and you think you only have one choice. You might have multiple choices. And within those rules, you just a better line of sight, happen to get maybe a better lie in general, just knowing the rules. So they are there to help you. Um, you know, I've played with so many people that didn't have a clue about it and we can get in and grow the game and just have fun and all that's a different subject. But um, yeah, I guess even going back to, um, what was it years ago at, uh, with Arnie behind number 12, um, who's he playing with? Um, uh, the, uh, the telecaster, Kenny, um, Venturi. Ventura. Yeah. You know, that, that was an, you know, an interpretation there years ago. Yeah. I think, I think it's kind of funny that, you know, from an amateur's standpoint and I play competitive stuff, but I also play in some events at the club 
when you play in events at the club, those guys don't know the first no. thing about the rules. I mean, it, it's actually comical. Like a member member or a member guest is, is a, a myriad of, of arguments and discussions about, you know, how to handle the rules. And it's, it's pretty funny. I, th I think on a competitive level though, you know, the state stuff and, and uh, you know, the guys, the guys know the rules just like the tour players know the rules. And, but I think in general too, that, that, you know, everybody has to play it safe, right? There's been so many rule changes. It, it can, it can trip people up. And, and the easiest thing is to call an official in, play it safe and, and, you know, kind of be okay with that, you know? Well, and Brendan, I think in this particular case, the fact that the exact same thing happened to Rory yeah. on the 18th hole on Saturday afternoon, and he didn't call in an official. I mean, when we, when he finished up his round, there was a few of us that were just sitting around and we didn't ask him in the scrum. It wasn't until he walked away that we sort of told him what happened with Patrick and he kind of dismissed it that this happens every day. We know what we're doing. Notified his playing partners in Rory's case, it was Rory Sabatini and you just move on. I don't think that anyone thought twice about it. Now, given Patrick Reed to what was said earlier, he knows he's in the spotlight. I mean, he yeah. knows who he is. And so, therefore, he was always going to bring in an official. And there are probably going to be more times than not that a tour player is going to bring in an official because they're very, very good and they're everywhere on the golf course. So why not? But, no, I think by and large, they know the rules pretty well. Yeah. And so in retrospect, you know, if you're Patrick, knowing – what people say about him uh, and what they think about him, fair or unfair. Uh, could he have done it differently? Could he have done it better? I'll start with you, Rex, because you, you were there and you were kind of in the middle of, of, of everything. So what, what do you think? Uh, by the rule of law, I don't know that he could have done anything better. By appearances, certainly he could have. Him picking the ball – up and then setting it down in a different spot didn't look good i mean there was plenty of players that told me they weren't comfortable with that for whatever reason um it, it, the fact he started moving things around before he the official actually arrived they weren't very happy with so yeah he probably could have done some things better when you're patrick reed you have to be aware that you're patrick reed you know that <laughs> i probably shouldn't be doing some of these things but yeah, by, by the rule of golf, and again, I, I don't want to – please don't at me. I, I'm, I'm done with this conversation. But, it, no, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And I, I know no one wants to agree with that. But by the rules of golf, we all know that he didn't do anything wrong. Can, can I just go down a small rabbit hole for 30 seconds here? <laughs> and, have at it. So and, uh, just bear with me. So I have a friend who's from L.A. and, and plays golf – you know, in, in the California area and the Kikuyu stuff. And, you know, what he was saying actually makes a little sense, right? You know, the, the, he was saying that, that sometimes the bottom of the plants can get really dense and it may appear like that is the surface of the ground, but it's really just the growth of the plant. And I know I've, I've seen balls nest, right? You know, they, mm -hmm. they can go down and create a little depression but it's not necessarily in the ground, but it's in that dense part of the bottom of the plant. And, you know, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility either yeah. for both, for both Rory and for Patrick that, that, you know, the ball could have just hit the bottom, you know, made a depression in that, that dense part of the plant. And, you know, I don't know, done with the rabbit hole, but, but that's definitely something that. No, it's, it's a good point. That was actually yeah. something that I thought of, uh, yeah, so, and granted, I'm I'm from the Northeast originally, and then moving down to Florida. So, uh, the the, the type of grass, the the growth that some of these courses get get the grass to grow up to, um, you could have situations just like you said, Andy, where it could you could assume even going through the procedures the correct way, even the rules official coming in and checking that could very well be the situation that they found themselves in for sure. And it was very wet. I mean, it, it was nasty last week. I got snowed on and hailed on in the same week in Southern California. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, the conditions sort of speak to that. And there, there were probably a lot of things. And we know now that Rory's ball actually was stepped on by the volunteers. So yeah. it, you, 
I, I just don't know. No one was down there in the mud and the grass with Patrick. And it's easy to say, well, given his reputation, he must have done this. But I, I just I'm not willing to go down that road. Yeah. Bobby, any last thoughts before we talk about distance? No. Easier conversation. Yeah, I, I was going to move on to distance, although I'm thinking about these phantom calls and thinking back to 1978 when Sugar Bear Hamilton and the Patriots were supposedly roughing the <laughs> But we move on. That was highway robbery, BB. I'll never forget that. Neither will I. <laughs> so, next so. topic. Um, <laughs> the, the USGA, and look, there's they catch a lot of flack um, from, from a lot of people, but they're really doing, in my mind, they're doing their job. And there's, there's times that I definitely don't agree with some of the decisions they make and, and some of the avenues they start to go down, the road, roads they go down, the rabbit holes that they go down. Um, but they, they do a lot of good for the game. Uh, one of the classes I taught at the Golf Academy of America was the, uh, the turf grass, turf maintenance class. And the USGA and, and some allied associations and even academia uh, got involved with doing uh, uh, a big project on the use of water, water usage, because water consumption uh, in, in the golf realm is a big topic. And it was, it was a study that they spent uh, several years on and spent a lot of money on, on ways of making golf courses more sustainable. That was, in my mind, that was money well spent. Some other folks may say, uh, maybe not maybe not so much the case. Uh, there's another project, the Pace of Play. They had the Pace of Play Symposium that they did and spent a lot of money and time on that. A lot of people will say that's money well spent. So, so this distance thing, and, it, and it, this, is, this is not a new topic by any stretch of the imagination. I, you know, Jack Nicholas talks a lot about uh, dialing the golf ball back, uh, we always get on, we've been on these topics since, since Tiger came on the scene about distance and, and, and how you should uh, set up your courses accordingly. So really, in my mind, what it boils down to is this distance thing is just for a very small percentage of the population, the golfing population. Um, if, in my opinion, if guys like Bryson are going to hit it the way they did, even if it was just an experiment that he was trying, uh, you know, it sounds like he's kind of trying to dial back a little bit on the bulking up and trying to get a little bit more physically fit, not, not trying not to kill the golf ball like he's been trying to do, but um, I, I feel like there's other ways to combat this without making it such a big deal that it's a big problem within the game itself. Um, you know, simply by how you manicure your golf course and set the heights of cuts for, for tour for uh, PGA tour events or major championships. Um, and I know a lot of the things that they've suggested uh, as far as the equipment goes is just going, limiting it to a 46 inch shaft for the drivers, as opposed to, I think it's 48 right now. Uh, and really with that, it's sticking with more competitive play, but Big picture, and at least in my opinion, I don't think this is the big problem that they're making it out to be and spending all this money on, or just as Royer said in his interview, there's a lot more areas within our game that we could spend money on to maybe uh, grow the game or do some other things for the good of the game. So that's just kind of my standpoint with this. Well, I'll dive in first because I'm pretty passionate about this one aspect here that we don't talk about. Uh, I do agree with Rory. The other areas of the game that we could help is retention. Yeah, That is why I started Reimagine Golf and I've been passionate about retention. The golf industry spends lots of money, time and resources on exposure, front end, feel good to get people to go clinics in springtime, this and that and the other thing. There's nothing done on the retention side. Very, very little thought on retention. Drives me nuts. There's no pathway. There's no strategies. What's happened in 2020, and I don't want to put everybody under the bus, but I talked to a lot of clubs, and what are your retention strategies for what you did this year? All the extra millions of rounds, 16 million more rounds in November of 20 than 19. What did you do for retention for 2021, 22, 23, 2020? 
and there was nothing. There was really nothing being done. It's just, this has been a great year. Look how good we did. Retention is just driving me crazy. I wish, I wish the industry would pay much more attention to retention, retaining members, retaining golfers. We wouldn't be in this, in some of this problem, but this distance thing, I remember in 1993 at my club, uh, as a Gary player signature design, Gary came in every year to do some charity events at uh, my club in Ocean City, Maryland. And I remember in 93, he said, he said two things I remember. One, there's a kid in South Africa, Ernie Els, you're going to hear his name. Did pretty good with that. The other thing was, he said this multiple years in a row, he said, the time is going to come pretty soon and there's going to be these physical specimens, these Michael Jordans that play golf. We've never had them in our sport. And I think everybody talks about the ball, the shaft, the equipment, and those are, those are definite some factors, but I, I just, I just don't see enough of the, what's happening on the physical specimen side and how every, I mean, Bryson's a great example, but just the, the idea that if everybody was five, nine and I don't know, 150, I mean, Justin Thomas can hit it a mile, but there are some physical guys out there. I mean, you know, these basketball player types or whatever, but I think the physical side gets lost. Um, but when we talk about Roy's comments about the good of the game, I, I wish the golf industry would wake up and spend much more time and attention on retention. Do an article on that, Rex. <laughs> Rather do that than another one on Patrick Reed. <laughs> Sorry to drag you down there, Rex. <laughs> um, so I just have two things on the, on this distancing, and, and um, you know, one part of it is I saw a study published today in Golf.com um, that was data reporting on in the last twenty years, I think, or twenty five years, I forget what the the data range was, but the average driving distance for different handicap groups. And they have not yeah. gone up. I mean, they've been they've been up, down, up, down, up, down. And you know, if you believe the data that was in the study, then you know it leads you to my second point, which is I feel like like the human condition. You know, I, I related to the four minute mile, right? You know, nobody ever ran a four minute mile for forever, and then all of a sudden, somebody did, and now they're running my everybody's breaking four minute miles right and i think i think the same thing happens with golf you know optimization of of the technology that's part of it obviously but to me the biggest part is that guys are building their bodies and you know swinging the golf club like way harder than anybody ever swung the golf club before it's just that seems to be to me the biggest reason why you know this subject matter keeps coming up and up and up and it's the people more than the stuff. And, and I would agree with that. And I need to, a disclaimer that I got an email from a boss this afternoon to point out that it's just not the USGA, that the USGA and the RNA are working concurrently to, to set these standards across the globe. And I can appreciate what Rory says. And, and I think he's absolutely right. The rule makers tend to look at this particular issue through a very narrow lens. And they're only going to look at the top 1%. And I would say it's probably the top 1% of the top 1% mm -hmm. that they're overly concerned about. Because, Brendan, you have seen me play. Me and my friends don't have a problem hitting the ball too far. I've never walked off a <laughs> golf course and said to myself, that was no fun. I hit the ball too far. Like, right, right. I, just, I just don't think that's an issue. And I know bifurcation is not something that anyone wants to dive into. And, and I would argue, and I'm going to look at this, from a tour player perspective, if you want to do something on the PGA tour, then have at it. Yeah. I mean, you're more than welcome to, uh, I think your point is very, very valid that the way golf courses are set up now on the PGA tour with agronomy and everything else they can do, they're dialed up to the point that it's perfect. And I can also see that the way athletes are today. And, and you pointed out, Bob, the, the basketball players that now play, I mean, when you watch Tony Finau, Swing the golf club. It looks like he's trying to hurt the golf ball. I mean, he's, he's, he's trying to do damage to that golf ball. And you can go down the list. And I know Rory is a small guy, but Bryson is big. And, and all these young athletes are just big young athletes, and they're stronger. They're just going to continue to do it. And I think when you – I heard Bryson's comments today from Saudi Arabia that they can do whatever they want with the equipment. 
you're not going to stop them from going to the gym. Yeah. So I think something does need to be done at the very top level. I'm not quite sure if it's the USGA and the RNA's job to do that. And to be quite frank, I don't know that the PGA tour feels like they have much of a problem. So I, it's a very long winded way of saying that Rory's right. It seemed like it was a waste of time and a waste of money to dig into this. Cause I don't think it's a problem for 99.9% of us. And I, I think this goes back every time, every time something like this comes up, uh, we get into this discussion of having two sets of rules, one for all the rest of us and, and rules for, for those that play professionally for money. Bob, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to you with this question because you, you've got not only the history of you being working in the industry for the years you have, but your father too. Why is this such a problem for some having two sets of rules? Why do you think? Good question. You know, some things with golf are wonderful, like tradition and history, and some yeah. things in golf aren't so good, like tradition and history. And, <laughs> you know, baseball, you would think, is uh, really tied to that, but they've got the metal bats and the wooden bats in major league level. And I, I was on the fence of this a long time, but I'm coming down on the side now, I think, where if the health of the industry is so important that maybe bifurcation isn't so bad, maybe maybe some aspects, maybe not as sweeping, oh, A to Z, but some aspects do make sense to be for the tour player, the highest of the highest, the elite of the elite. So, uh, but it's interesting, you know, in race card, in NASCAR, you had the drivers and then now it's getting fast, fast in these racers. And in tennis, you look at the old tennis, they got pants and they're just sort of waltzing around. And now they're just 100 and, 150 mile an hour serves or, Every sport is just evolved and, you know, golf's no different. And you look at the golf swings of the Al Guybergers in years ago and everybody talked about tempo. When I was a kid with my dad, it was working your tempo, your tempo, your tempo. Uh, it's important, but there's a while there where uh, then it was, uh, you get the need for speed and swing hard. And the kids I've had in my programs, yours as well, I have told the kids and the parents, uh, it's hard to get deep into the game or deeper into your career and, capture speed so i want little kids to swing as hard as they can without falling over basically yep. i can always always dial them back it's hard to get years in and say let's go faster and what's, what, what's what's wrong with amateurs or kids or whoever having equipment that's going to give them five more yards what's wrong with guys that have the yips anchoring a putter into into their body to help them enjoy the game a little bit longer i i really don't see anything wrong with that i'm sorry andy i cut you off no that's all right i was just going to say that that distance is a relative thing too right and I, I don't think anybody really really considers that meaning that that you know back in in the 1960s jack nicholas was bryson right yeah. i mean he was bombing it by everybody and and he was an amazing, you know, thing to watch and all that stuff. And it's the, the distance that he hit it and Bryson hits it. I mean, you could play a football game, you know, between those distances, you know, in, in some respects. And, and to me, it doesn't take away from the fact that Jack was the monster of his day, right? And Daly was the monster of his day. And, and, you know, now Bryson is. It just, it doesn't even seem to matter to me what the numbers are. The only thing that matters is how they are relative to the other people that play the game. And, and if we took that, that top 1% out, if we took the PGA tour players out and I would pose this question to Bob and Brendan, you ran a golf course as well. I mean, is there a current problem at golf courses that you just don't have enough room? I mean, I just don't think that's an issue. I don't, I, I just haven't played with enough people that I thought, wow, this golf course is no good for them. You're exactly right, Rex. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brennan. Well, it's I remember there used to be a ball that came out. Remember the condor? Remember that golf ball? Yeah. Yep. And it supposedly because of the construction of the ball would give you monster distance and 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 it was deemed illegal. But again, it goes back to the, this whole idea of 
why not let people that play the game for fun and yes i agree the the traditional part of the game the rules of the game the honor of the game that all has merit with whatever level people play at whether it's strictly recreation with their buddies or if you're you hit one out of bounds and you just drop up where it went out of bounds it why not let people have fun i mean there is the seriousness to the game and the tradition but really the vast majority it's all about having a good time so if you got an illegal golf ball on your bags so what if you got a 48 inch driver that's not going to really give you much more distance but mentally you feel like you're gonna be able to hit a little bit further so what and what can Licking golf bags is usually 16 or 17 clubs. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm just asking for a friend. What do you find these illegal golf balls? Just <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if they make those anymore. Do you know? I haven't I haven't heard of a condor in years. Bobby, I have a I have a closet full of spalding molotars. Oh yeah, <laughs> those too. <laughs> but this goes to Bob, this goes to Bob's point about retention. Yeah. And uh, you're gonna retain more people. How many people were turned off last week hearing that rules nonsense at Toy Pines? I mean, I can imagine TV all across America turning off because no one wants to hear about, well, where did the ball drop? And was it actually embedded? It wasn't embedded. Did he call it rules? No one like that has to be just repellent for fans and people who might want to play the game. I just don't know if that's the way we want to portray the game. Yeah, I think that's right. That, that's such a good point. And I never thought about that. I mean, we all have a vested interest in the game from a very different perspective than your average golfer that goes out there for recreation. So Rex, your point right there just didn't dawn on me that a lot of us like to talk about these things because we're more inside the game and it's interesting and it's, and it's fun to talk about. Maybe not so much for, for you, Rex, <laughs> with, with this Patrick Reed thing, but I can see, like you just said, is being a huge turnoff to the average golfer, for sure. Well, and Brandon, you've seen my kids out at Wakaiva, and they're playing golf. Trust me, they didn't ask me when I got home from Torrey Pines about their Patrick Reed situation. Like, they had no interest <laughs> yeah. in that. That wasn't on their radar at all. It's, Dad, what day are we playing golf this week? That's the yeah. only thing they wanted to know. So, it, at least it seems like they're kind of immune to it. I just don't know that – when you talk about retention, and again, Bob's point's very valid. I mean, golf went through a tram- transformative year. Yeah. All the weird reasons that we can come up with. But how do we keep those people engaged with the game? And I can guarantee it's not talking about rules controversies, about embedded balls at Torrey Pines with Patrick Reed. Yeah, I, li- I lived through uh, an interesting time period with when I was with Callaway and we introduced the ERC and – you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but Arnold, Arnold got roasted. Oh, yeah. He did literally roasted for being behind the idea of of you know allowing golfers to have a little bit more fun by hitting it further, right? Mm-hmm. So, so at that point in time, you know, the powers that be were not amused at all by that that concept in that conversation. It it was. It was an awful time. Now, Rex, I've been, I don't know, helping people with their games for a few years. <laughs> um, I'll be 30-year PGA member coming up here in a, a month or two, um, helping my dad as a kid. If you put all the tens of thousands of lessons or whatever I've ever done, nobody's ever walked up and said, I really want to know the rules better. <laughs> it's, it's 99% of... Bob, you know, I want to, I can't hit my driver. I want to hit my driver further. I need more yards, yards, yards. And actually many people have hit it down the middle. I do playing lessons and I go, you know, Mr. Hydorn, your tee game looks really good. We got to work in your short game. No, 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 no. If I can only hit it further. I mean, this thirst, this yearning, this, this uh, yearning to go up the Mount Everest of uh, distance. That's what the game is about. And yeah, within the rules and the constraints of, uh, you know, equipment manufacturers and the rules and, you know, uh, USDA, but it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's like the Holy grail. And, and to be fair, I mean, I'm not a, I, I guess I'm just not a, a golf architect nerd to the point that Jeff, Jeff Shackelford, he is, yeah. he, he's on this hill. This is the hill he wants to die on. 
and I, I don't understand where he's coming from, and, but I can understand he's passionate about it. I just don't know. First off, it, it only affects 1% of the population. And if, if you ask Jay Monahan right now, if he's worried about distance, his answer is the same now as it was 10 years ago for Tim Fincham when he was commissioner. No, we're good with it. It's entertainment. I mean, is it like the home runs in baseball? Is it like scoring in football? It, it It's excitement. Yeah. Yep. Drive for I would, show. I would think so. I mean, the NBA evolved. I mean, the, the game that they play now in the NBA is not the game that probably all of us sure. grew up watching. I mean, yeah. that, that's not pleasing to us. But when you look at it, you're like, well, it's much more efficient than what we did with the big guy in the middle and had to feed it down to him. I think, to your point, every single sport has evolved. And I don't know that golf – could possibly any, be any different. That's a great point. Really good point. You know, uh, another switching a topic. Um, and, and I was thinking about this since we were, since I knew we were going to have you on tonight, Rex. Um, so we're coming up on almost a year of dealing with the COVID thing. Uh, and, and golf was one of the first sports to uh, kind of call it quits. And then one of the first sports to come back and, and do so in which I feel like, and, and I'm going to defer to you after my, make my comments, Rex, um, that they really did a good job on how they prepped for, for go, getting back to, to playing the game. Um, but you're, you're out there. I mean, you've, you've been traveling around to, to events and, and with no fans, but um, how do you feel almost a year after uh, the TPC Sawgrass, how do you feel that the tour has done um, and what do you, what are your thoughts about how things look in the months to come? Well, on this week is a milestone. I mean, they're going to yeah. have, it's 5,000 fans a day at Scottsdale, which is a drop. I mean, when you ask players, I asked players about what they were going to feel like and 5,000 fans a day at TPC Scottsdale probably feels like it's an empty gallery. So it, it's still a mile, milestone, especially as we kind of turn the corner and come to Florida. Cause I think everyone is on the mindset that once we get to Florida, we get closer in the spring that maybe we'll, we'll have fans back. Uh, to answer your question, I, golf was one of the first sports back. I think there was an incredible amount of pressure on the PGA Tour to, to get it right because they knew everyone was watching. And I, I don't give the tour credit on a lot of things. Uh, you know, I don't carry the tour's water on a lot of things, but on this, I will. I, I think the protocols they came up with, and there was a moment in time when – I, I was in Fort Worth at the first event and I was in Hilton Head at the second event and things started to unravel. I mean, I could see us going down a very, very dark hole and probably shutting down again. And Monaghan flew to Connecticut to the Travelers Championship and sat down with players and reiterated that, look, if we're not all in this, if we're not going to all follow the same rules. It's not going to work. And I'll give him credit for a couple of things, leadership in that particular situation, but more so, he put people in charge who knew how to handle this particular issue. And there aren't many people that knew how to handle this particular issue. Mm -hmm. And now we're, as you pointed out, we're almost a year in. And there have been positive tests. We can't gloss over those. However, every time the tour has seemed like its back is against the wall, it's, it doubles down. And you get into a situation where we've been in California the last few weeks where guys start Trust me, I was in a hotel room in two weeks in California, and there is no eating out. There is no getting drinks. There's no hanging out like we're used to. It's not the best existence, but it's the only way to do this, and I'll give the tour total credit for coming up with it. Do you think that the way that the tour handled this might have been uh, – Oh, come on, man. Bob and Andy are just sitting there. Ask, ask them something. <laughs> Well, I, I will after this, but because this is going to lean more into our side of the game. Do, do you think how the tour handled everything and in, in, in the positive uh, the positive talk that came from that? Do you think that kind of spearheaded a little bit of that initial push for recreational golfers to find ourselves, you know, breaking records of people playing the game? Because, again, I felt like it was a testament to our game. Uh, where it's kind of got those built-in safety factors uh, that people can go out and, and, and enjoy it uh, on a recreational level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, you're two weeks in. You have Fort Worth. You have Hilton Head, the first two events back in June. And so 144 players, 144 caddies, however many officials, they all 
took tests. They all passed the test. I mean, it's golf is unique. We knew this, but I think it took a lot of people to come to terms with it. But you're in a field, you're as socially distanced as you can possibly be. Absolutely. It had to help. Yeah. Bobby. I was just thinking of a photo when Rex was talking about what it's like out there now. And I saw this uh, sort of side-by-side photo from the Super Bowl last year's radio. What do they call the radio hall uh, or something? Radio row. Radio row. And it was just massive humanity. And this year there's nobody there. Yeah. It's striking. I mean, it just, it drives it home and that's the Super Bowl. And it was uh, interesting here in Florida, South Florida. Um, we're on the Treasure Coast felt like it was a little bit of a bubble and we had people driving up for the day from Miami driving across the state just clamoring to get into golf up here there were a lot of restrictions down south in Miami Fort Lauderdale uh this and that so it was uh you know people wanted to play golf it was an outlet I think they were you know they wanted to get out there safe environment um all the protocols we had to do we did and I was trying to tell more and more PGA members call your local politicians because they were rulings local city regional commissioners and even statewide and this is a great example for pga members lpga superintendents club uh, owners or managers be connected in your community because when things like this happen you have a conduit to say wait a minute don't put the stereotypical thing of golf out there we're open space rex talked about it it it's it's just these things that you can do that make a difference with your business and showcase what golf's about the giving uh, on and on and on, but um, it's just a, a good learning learning tool. I hope that that I could share with some people in the golf industry. Yeah, I th- I think in the beginning, certainly, you know, there was so much unknown still about the virus and how it gets transmitted, and you know, so there were all kinds of of you know really conservative policies put into place. Um, but I think as, as time went by, golf proved itself, right? I mean, there's, there was a lot of people that played and, and it, it proved itself to be a pretty safe activity. And uh, if I never have to putt with a flag stick in again, I'll be a happy guy. <laughs> it, it, almost, it almost makes me wonder when life gets back to normal, however we define normal, uh, and, and fans are allowed back at, at the PGA Tour events and sports in general or just any type of gathering in, in, lar- in a large scale. I'm wondering, this kind of makes me go, think back to what Bob's talking about retention. Do we, as, as that oasis that we were for people during COVID, do we kind of go back to what we were, you know, as everybody gets back to normal or or golf courses were not doing the rounds that we're doing now. It's, it's, it's almost weird to think of it in, in that perspective that when life gets back to normal, golf may slip back without that retention piece into what it was pre-COVID. Yeah, but the there's... Golf, the golf industry hasn't learned. Look what happened after yeah. Tiger. There's been d- distinct instances of bounces in golf and there's no retention. I will go to my grave talking, this industry is blank, poor, insert adjective, for retention. It's really, really bad, sweeping generalization. There's excellent bright spots out there. But as an industry, that is one area that it could be just, it could be a savior if more people have this mindset of retention at the facility level. Anybody at the carts, in the golf shop, retention and what they call player development should be immersed across everybody at the facility, not just a singular person. Being a PGA LPGA member, yeah, we talked about this last week with Calvin Pete. Um, you know about about you know there's a lot of a lot of activity on the front end. You know, first tee and a lot of entry to the game activities and and you know entities, if you will. But like, where do you go after that? I mean, there's no there's no halfway house to get people kind of moved from the initial activity stage into actually becoming a sustaining member of, of the game, right? And, and playing the game for a lifetime, really. So, um, but the other thing that I, w- I would also suggest is that part of the boom, I'm sure, had to do with people not having to go to work, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And that will ultimately change too. So I think it's probably a little bit of both. 
Well, uh, just out of curiosity, like I, so now I'm fascinated, Bob. I mean, you've got you have to have some ideas. Like, how do you? You're right, Andy. People will have to go to work. I don't know that they're going to go back to offices. Yeah. To be being quite frank, just because we don't know what the world's going to look like even a year from now. But like Bob, what, how would you? What would be in your perfect world uh, a program that would help retain all of these new players that are coming into the game over the last eight months? Here, here I go, Rex. It's not a program per se. I hijacked the show, Brendan. Sorry, man. Uh, not a program, and I think that's where the disconnect is in the industry. These programs that come from a national office are made in an office, and I was at one of the offices. You need to understand your business at your club, and I, I could be at a public, and Andy could be at a public, and you're at a public, and we're in a triangle one mile apart. Three different mindsets, three different cultures, three different business models, there's, you can't take a cookie cutter approach with these programs, but yeah, I've helped clubs understand their business model, the foundational principles to build their business, how to infuse programming. Yes. That has a pathway to it because the programming is all disconnected. There's no pathway that you are new to the game and I can get you on the pathway and take you along. Andy's been lapsed for 20 years. Now the kids are out of the house. He's ready to play some more golf. How do I get him into the middle? Cause he's a pretty settled golfer and he knows what he's doing. So now I keep him going. And all along the way you're doing these tactics that help people want to come back to the club. There's outreach, there's communication. I don't want to hijack this thing and we could go all night. Um, I'd love to do follow up with you for sure. It's just not talked about me and I've about had it. So it needs to get addressed in a really, really bad way. I think the timing's perfect right now. Yeah. Sorry to get on my soapbox. Brennan and I have talked about this before with the phrase, grow the game. What the heck does that mean? It means a thousand things to a thousand different people. Some people think grow the game is get more high school golfers at a high elite level. I'm like, really? Okay. That'll grow the game. So I'll, I'll stop because I'm going to get. <laughs> I'll just. <laughs> I'll just uh, was to wind Bob up. That was fun. <laughs> I'll add one thing to this because I'm, I'm in a, new, a unique position with, um, we're, I don't know if I talked to you, Rex, about this. I may have talked to you in passing, but um, so we do a bulk of our programs at Wakaiwa Golf Club, uh, but we just so happened I stumbled upon a gentleman that's a retired PGA uh, professional from St. Louis who's retiring down here in Mount Dora, and we got introduced to each other, and, my, and he's, I guess his official title is, well, he's vice president of the board at the old Mount Dora Golf Club. Uh, the, the city course and he's very progressive in his thinking and he he saw the club is have is having the potential of being kind of a example to other courses like that you're middle of the range it's not even six thousand yards from the back tees but it's a fun little golf course um so he's he's pushed for a project that's got green lighted uh, putting in a uh 10,000 square foot putting green, chipping, pitching area by the, by the front entrance. Uh, he found out about what we do. He embraced what Little Linksters does. And we've never really had that type of someone embracing what we do fully uh, to see it through fully. Um, so one of the things that I suggested to uh, the GM that he just hired a, a 23 year old kid, super bright kid um, was allowing me is bringing in player development programs to tie into their point of sale system. So we can track what, not only what we bring in from the standpoint of programming, but the residual spend that, that golfers have when they get brought to the golf course by the programming. Um, a lot of times in those situations, they will be new to that golf facility. They're drawn there by the programming. And what they'll do is they'll spend money on, you know, food and beverage. They'll spend money, spend money on obviously greens fees. They may buy a membership. So these are some of the tactics that Bob uh, really, Bob and I have talked about for a long time of the importance of player development programs, instructional programs that really don't get tracked. And an owner will never know what, what that piece, uh, that player development, that instructional piece has to a facility because uh, look, everyone wants to get better, especially the longer you've been playing, um, investing in some lessons or new equipment or playing more. Uh, that's all going to help you enjoy the game a little bit more. But 
you as, a, as an instructor or a program or somebody that's there as an independent contracted in, instructor or organization, and you're not tracking these things, an owner ownership will never know what your value is. So if you can tie in what that value is of a player development program, it just, it, it, the, the water rises for everybody, all the, you know, for, for, the, for the operations of the facility, the revenue stream for the facility, the instructors and the golfers, you're gonna get more people drawn to that type of facility and situation. And that big picture, if more golf clubs could do that, then I think the industry, it rises, it rises the tide for everybody. One of the things that, that we're passionate about at Iconic is, is that exact subject matter, right? You know, there's, there's only so many people that, that take instruction and, and uh, they spend a lot of money on it. And, you know, there's this huge delta between the people that play and the number of people that actually spend money on instruction. And, you know, we're trying to, to provide an opportunity for coaches to, to deliver some instruction content to students, you know, all members, if you will, so that, you know, they can get engaged and, and learn more about the game and not really have to go spend a hundred dollars every time, mm-hmm. you know, they, they go see their, their uh, pro for, for a lesson. So that's something that, that is near and dear to my heart. So. Hey Rex, you want to win a beer bet? Ask any golf op- operator how many human beings play your course every year. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not a number that they track, human beings? Nope. nope. That that would be the first place to start this whole retention because you got to know how many people, how many humans play your facility, and that would be your first key metric, in my view. And then you move off that. But everybody knows rounds. Yeah. It's 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 a different. Sorry, I won't get going. Well, no, no, I see what you're saying, because you could have 100 people playing 200 rounds a year, and that's going to skew your numbers as far as membership. I get that. No, I totally understand. It's fascinating to me, because, again, I think golf is in a wildly unique situation right now. Yeah, for sure. Given what COVID did to the game. And when you have players like Rory talking about it and the way he did, I think it's only going to help. But, I, Bob, like you, I've been in the business 25 years now. And I, I'm kind of sad to say this. I think the best grow of the game initiative I've seen in those 25 years is Topgolf. Yeah. I, I just haven't seen anything else that has traction like that has. Yeah. And Rex, my, my last question on this piece to you is I see you and your son out at Wakaiba. I mean, what be, beyond you working in the, in the industry from, from the standpoint of covering the, the elite players, covering the game from that standpoint, for you as a recreational golfer, what what's attractive for you and for your son? What attracts you to the game? What are things that that bring you out to the golf course? And what maybe do you not see at the golf course that maybe would pique your interest a little bit more and get you out there a little bit more? Uh, well, I mean, I've played since I was 13 years old. And actually, the guy I started playing with when I was 13 will he and I are teaming up tomorrow at Wakaiba at 9 a.m. If you want to join us, Brendan. Um, but when it, when it comes to my boys specifically, I like being in the golf business. I never wanted to to make them feel like this is what I I want. They had to do, but it was what they came to naturally. It was yeah. they wanted to go to the course, they wanted to go to the range, they wanted to hit balls, and that was that was great for me. When when you ask about what, and I've seen it a limited number of times. But I can I can tell you what I'd like to see at golf courses. And one of the times I've seen it was at Wakaiba with a group of your kids and what you do with the little linksters. The other time I saw it was at the Danny uh, the Yates course, mm-hmm. which is right across the street from East Lake in Atlanta. I was covering the tour championship and we were playing. It's just a par three course. And there was a group of kids out there from the first tee. And I remember taking a picture of it. And it must have been 200 kids. And like the, the tweet that I sent out was, this is the future of golf. Like, this is amazing. It's a random Saturday morning and there's 200 kids of every race and color out there playing golf and getting instruction and having fun. I mean, that, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's, I know that's the challenge when it comes to getting kids into the game, but I, I'd, mu- I'd much rather see m- more of that. Yeah. Um, I think we all would rather see more of that. Yeah, Definitely. It's, it's interesting for me to get perspective of 
of somebody that's that's a recreational golfer because i don't think we ask that question enough i don't think we ask people what is it that brings them to the to the golf course and what what would be something that could bring you to the golf course even more i i, I don't think we ask that question nearly enough it's funny i think the one thing that that the the industry in general has has done a pretty good job at in in a lot of places anyway is is kind of breaking down the the staunchiness and the in the you know the barriers about dress code and music and things like that and you know the people who are are always going to be golf customers and never leave the game don't really understand how important that stuff is to some people and you know the guy who owns owns the course that i play at you know some of the old members are bitching to him all the time well look at that guy out there look what he's wearing look what and the owner's like hey i'm not in the business of driving people away and i want people to be here i want them to be happy be comfortable and and i think in general golf is 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 definitely you know kind of moved more in that direction which i think is great a little bit a little bit yeah you know, i was having this conversation with a mutual friend of many of us jeff babino the other day and i said to babs you know it's uh, i don't know how we started talking about it but i said i have a i just looked around it's in my room here somewhere um there's a magazine from uh, the 1930s a golf magazine basically it says the game of golf is going in the crapper because people aren't playing with a jacket and tie enough and all about the dress code. And I remember being in my golf shop, uh, working at Western golf club, Western golf club outside of Boston when Tony Mosca brought in Ashworth shirts and the membership went crazy. Like what in the world, the, you know, soft collar and, you know, the soft spikes that came along, he's all these things and these, uh, you know, tantamount to like the game's going crazy because of the dress. Um, but we were talking about Babs' son that, him and his college guys, they, they want to go play golf and they get reprimanded like crazy because the shirt's out. Um, you know, it's it's just, uh, it's interesting. And it's a whole nother rabbit. This is probably about 12 rabbit holes there, Andy. <laughs> well, we did it. We did a podcast and it was after Terrell Hatton. Now I'm trying to remember that it must have been, it was an event recently on the European tour and he had on a hoodie. Yeah. And it was like one of the new Adidas hoodies. You guys probably remember it. Yep. And it had become an issue on Twitter. Right. And, the, the guy I did the podcast with Ryan Labda wanted to bring it up and talk about it. And I was like, I, I have no interest in talking about this. Like I did, like it, it looks fine. It's clearly cold. He's comfortable. Let's move on. Like what, right. what, I don't understand what the conversation is. And Bob, you don't have to say that you're from Boston between the Moss. <laughs> and the boss. If Larry Bird walked into your shot right now, I would not be. <laughs> He's in the closet. He's in the closet behind the Moss screen. <laughs> I was going to say that that magazine you were looking for is underneath your Jerry Cheever's mask. So <laughs> well, that's back there. So with that, the wrap up question, who's going to win on Sunday? Football or golf? <laughs> yes. Football. I, I do like the Chiefs. Yeah. Oh, that's got to pain you. But really, Bob, you're going there, huh? You're not going with the old guy. Nope. He's bitter. No. <laughs> if you said yes, is Belichick going to call you immediately and uh, just lay in the ear? Like, you can't say that. Is it, we're, we got a system going on here. We got a, I'm trying to do my job. <laughs> what about you, Andy? You're from up there. Um, I, I, I have this, this ridiculous, you know, bias against people who try to predict who's going to win things. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's one of the dumbest thing that's evolved on, on sports, you know. Hi, Andy. Have we met? Yeah. I, I, I know. <laughs> but I'm rooting for Tom Brady. Uh, I, I think you have to root for Tom Brady. And, yeah. and look, I don't have a dog in the fight one way or the other. But yeah. if, if he does win this and you think about who he beat to get there, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and then Patrick Mahomes, that would be – I mean, he's already the GOAT. But I'm going to go the other way. Steve Stricker is alone in fifth place. I saw so, that. Yeah, the Ryder Cup captain in Scottsdale, that'd be pretty cool. I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, 600. I like that. You think he's got the uh, he, he, he's got the gas in the tank to uh, keep it up? 
probably not, but if he wins the 54 hole event, I'm going to give him the PGA Tour Champions Trophy at Scottsdale. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and in my final thought, I have no dog in the fight either. I just want to see a good close game, which it really, I could, it has the potential to be one of the best Super Bowls in recent history. Uh, I, I think it's a, what are the Chiefs are a favorite by, by a couple. Um, I just, I think it's a toss up in my book. Um, but I, I'm rooting for Brady too. Sorry, Bobby. <laughs> Bob, Bobby, you're not really rooting against Brady, are you? Or are you no. just? You're I think just he's rooting say... for Belichick, is what he's doing. I mean, right. if we're being honest here, I, I just... root for my teams, and so he's not on my team. So hey, have a nice game. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Rex. Can't thank you enough, my friend, uh, for coming Thanks, on and sharing some time with us. Uh, this is Love of the Links, uh, Season 3, Episode 3. We'll get this video portion out uh, tomorrow, probably the audio by tomorrow night. Uh, look for any place you listen to your podcast, and the video will be on Facebook, on our Facebook page, and on YouTube. Hope everybody has a great weekend, and I'm not going to sign off by saying go Tampa Bay, but uh, just let's have a good Super Bowl. How about that? That's good. Thanks, Max. Thanks, guys. Thanks, boys. Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littlelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.